podcast. Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. And Elling. And we are the Queer Arabs. I'm a Saudi and a lesbian. And I'm bi, trans, and Lebanese, and we are recording from America. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about the Me Too movement. It's come up in conversation lately, and it's very relevant right now. First, I'm going to be giving a little overview of what the Me Too movement is. I'm pretty sure all our listeners have heard of it, but still going to give a little background. Then I'm going to go into more specifically why we're talking about this right now. And then Ellie's going to be um, talking about our process, finding guests, and what goes into deciding what we're going to do on a podcast episode or who we're going to feature. So the Me Too movement, um, it's become a worldwide conversation. It's been searched for on Google in 196 countries since the movement started. So you can see it's spread. The word has spread It hasn't been an overnight thing. I mean, this has been simmering, needing to come out for centuries, really. With the technology available and the fact that the world is shrinking because of it, it's been easier for people to have this conversation across the globe. And it's been very important. It hasn't solved everything. And you're going to hear an example of why. So last year, 2017, Time Magazine named the person of the year the Silence Breakers. They didn't choose just one person. The magazine acknowledged the voices who launched the Me Too movement as a group, which I think is really cool. And it was really important that this group get highlighted. It hasn't been an easy road. So in 1997, Ashley Judd... Who is Ashley Judd? An actress. Well, this was before she got her big break, I would say. So Ashley Judd was in a situation when Harvey Weinstein... Is it Weinstein or Weinstein? I always forget. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. (laughs) When he tried to get her into his bed in his hotel room. And um, Ashley left the hotel room and immediately spoke up and told everyone she knew, everyone around her, about the incident. So she did not let this slide you know she knew right off the bat this is not okay we need to be talking about this and a friend of hers told her that harvey's behavior was an open secret that was passed around on a whisper network and had been that way for years and this was rampant in hollywood you know with him uh for those who don't have the context harvey weinstein is basically one of the founders of the weinstein company Mm -hmm. which is a very famous hollywood uh movie production house they do a lot of film if you've watched any amount of hollywood slash american produced movies you probably saw their little w logo at the start of some movie you saw so it's pretty hard not to have run into him he has a lot of power and he's in a position where he took advantage of people because people wanted to get into the industry and this was passion of a lot of people you know acting whatever performing and he used that to manipulate people. Famously, this, the term tossed around is the casting couch, in which directors and producers would basically select who would get the part based on who would sleep with them. That was the uh, term that a lot of people used, and it was implied mm-hmm. about actresses, especially those who people didn't think were talented. Yeah. And um, these this abuse uh, just was talked about on these whisper network it wasn't like 
it was just it was just for people to warn each other about him, about Harvey Weinstein and whoever else was doing this kind of thing. But there was actually back then there was no method of stopping the abuse and the industry didn't have someone that they could report these incidents to because people in power in that industry were the ones causing this. Yeah. And ultimately it came down to a calc if it wasn't just an outright dismissal of based on oh she's that's what she said and there's two sides of every story there's also the money calculation actresses in hollywood have a remarkably short shelf life unless you're somebody truly exceptional your career is usually pretty short so and the older you get the at least in the past the less likely you were to get roles so being a whistleblower in any industry basically will kill your career in america uh, this has been in the case in almost every whistleblower type situation and especially this one because if you're calling out somebody very powerful in the person who has the ability to make or break careers versus some nobody who may not be around in two weeks, people's um, economic math are going to favor the person who's greenlighting movies and has money versus the person whose career is going to be very short because mm -hmm. yeah, it would be the right thing to call him out and perhaps refuse to work with him or even testify. But it's more likely that the person, the accusations aren't going to go anywhere and now you've just upset a person who may give you, your friends and your studio a lot of money and profitability so right and capitalism opportunity folks. opportunity to do what you love and for people around you to do what they love like your yeah. friends who want to be in the acting business or somewhere within the hollywood context whether it's producing helping you know producing acting camera work whatever there are a lot of reasons people want to break into that industry because these are creative outlets for people and it's not even people who want to break in, it's people who want to continue working in because if, not everyone is in a position where they can say no to project. Yeah. You know, people got mouths to feed, bills to pay, kids to pay for school for, all that good stuff. And movie productions, Hollywood work and movie productions are not year-round things. It's when you can get it work, it's, you know, you can work on a project for two years and get the paycheck at the end of it, which will be a lot of money, but it'll be like, yeah, you'll get that $250,000 paycheck for your movie work, but it'll be like after two years. Yeah. So that's working on Hollywood. With this case, with Ashley Judd, in October 2017, this was about 20 years after that 97 incident with Harvey Weinstein, um, she went on record in the New York Times and she's, she talked about what happened. And the world listened. And of course, like Harvey Weinstein denied everything and he denied what others started saying about him too because a bunch of people were saying, oh, wow, me too. You know, I'm going to... I'm going to talk about this publicly because Ashley Judd has done it. You know, I feel safe doing it. You know, we're in this together. And this domino effect of women coming forward, it didn't seem to humble Harvey, of course, into taking ownership of the harm he had caused so many people. He didn't acknowledge it, admit it, nothing. That's how so many sexual harassers and predators behave. Even if someone does not outright rape someone or even touch them, there are so many ways that people cross boundaries and get away with it. And it's very rare to see the people doing that, causing that harm, to actually admit or acknowledge what they've done. Um, and no matter how many survivors come forward, it could be like five, it could be a hundred, and the denial and the ego attempt to squash those voices. And that has worked time and time again. So the reason the Me Too movement is so important is it's getting the world to listen. It's been a movement that has elevated the voices of those who have either been ignored or 
who've been told that they're exaggerating or or they they're told well boys will be boys both men and women can be the harassers but statistically speaking the overwhelming majority of sexual predators and abusers are men so that's why mentioned the whole excuse of boys will be boys, you know, something to be expected or in the Hollywood case, well, if you want to be in this industry, this is going to happen. Just get used to it. And that's just a, that's kind of a mantra that's been floating around for way too long. And sadly, there are women who will do that to other women on occasion. And we're going to get into that in just a second. And I'm going to repeat this throughout this. It's not the victim's fault. With this movement, of course, there have been these unfair questions of why didn't this person speak up sooner or why didn't this person get or why did this person get away with what they did for so long and with so many people. And the reason for that is that society has made excuses for decades or for centuries even for this kind of behavior and a lot of times the gaslighting starts immediately. What was she wearing? Why was she out at night? Or in modern times, why was she talking to this random person on the internet? You know, why was she giving any of her time to this person that she didn't even know? So when the possibility of, or probability of being gaslit outweighs the probability of being listened to or respected, you stay silent. And that's what's allowed this behavior to continue for so long. And it is not the fucking victim's fault. For those who are wondering where that behavior came from, it's like, basically, that's the sort of tactic that defense attorneys have used when sexual harassment claims, both in civil and um, criminal context in America have come up. Because the American system, at least on the criminal side, is beyond a shadow of a doubt, which is a pretty high burden. So. You don't have to, you basically have to say, well, it's not very likely that was happening based on the evidence. And since a lot of sexual harassment and sexual abuse tend to be in private places away from witnesses, you basically have to either rely on physical evidence, which can be difficult if there is none, or if you didn't think to get a rape kit done immediately. Even in big cities, um, the handling of rape and rape kits is pretty atrocious even to this day. Yeah. So setting up the evidence, if you are the per sort of person who thinks ahead and thinks defensively, is not the easiest thing in the world. So, and that assumes that there is any physical or DNA evidence. Yeah. And then or it's physical still, interaction. Like, yeah. you know, what if it's verbal or, or whatever? It could yeah. Be and it still brings up issues of consent, which, you know, if you're trying to prove in a criminal case are is, you know, the assumption is that you did because that's it went on so long or that it happened at all or mm -hmm. you know the assumption well in america it's beyond the shadow of a doubt again which sort of sets the assumption is we assume this didn't happen prove it yeah at least for the prosecution side yeah we either assume it didn't happen or we assume that you as the victim or the you know survivor in a better term as a better term um asked for it or you allowed it to happen you obviously consented yeah and People say, well, everyone knew. And when everybody says this, this isn't like a, oh, we could just look them up in Wikipedia and like everyone knew. Like, unless a person's a pretty high profile figure, if you're just like finding out about a harasser at work through a whisper networks, that means the person who is telling you that information has observed you for long enough to think, oh, hey, this person will listen to this advice and benefit from it without also endangering the people who are giving you this advice. Mm -hmm. So like, let's say at, at my work, which is a mid-sized company, uh, there was a person who was known to basically 
harass and put women in very physically uncomfortable positions at work. Mm-hmm. You know, if if management was unresponsive to this, women will naturally talk. Like people will talk among themselves, the rumor mill will start. However, if a new person comes to a company, you know, people have to decide whether or not this person is, you know, going to basically cue in the abuser who may be in a position of power to the fact that people are talking about them or that they are letting people know that they are someone not to be alone in the room with. Right. Which always provides a harasser with sort of, you know, fresh meat, as it were. If a person comes in, they have to be clued in and then they have to be trusted by people who are cluing them in. And this is both for the Whisper Network members to protect themselves and from both the victim and the harasser, because the victim may not be sympathetic they may be like oh well you're just trying to take on the boss or they may be trying to score points with the boss so that kind of puts again the network in a very awkward position when including new members right um so i'm gonna share my experience with someone that ellie and i initially deemed as trustworthy and what this person did to remove that trust and also how this continued for as long as it did. This individual, she constantly made excuses for herself and she constantly gaslit me. And she kept telling me I was being too harsh, not being considerate of her feelings, that she was in the darkest of places, that she needed support, she needed friendship and all all kinds of stuff. And she went as far as to tell me that she was in love with me which I promptly told Ellie. That was not the most fun thing for Ellie to hear. Um, This person knew I was, yeah, this person knew I was in a relationship and I am. And after I explained to her how terribly uncomfortable that was and how many boundaries she crossed by saying that, she apologized profusely and she sounded sincere, innocent. She even sounded innocent. She made herself out to have good intentions and not harmful ones. And she asked to visit us without ever having met us. We had spoken online, Google Hangout video, that's it. And she provided all kinds of words of support on the most vulnerable issue regarding myself that I've ever talked about on this podcast. It's something that I don't wanna get into, but she pinpointed that when I mentioned it very briefly on the past episode, she took that and she went with it. She she was like, I'm going to approach this subject with all kinds of compassion and be like, I'm, you know, you can always talk to me about it. But um, I told her that I didn't want to talk about the issue. And she said that she respected that. So that made me feel a little safer. Yeah. So things to note here is this person is a person we thought was okay. Mm-hmm. That we were, I would say, friendly with, if not friends. I would say friendly, but cautious after a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And this wasn't a, and I want to emphasize, this isn't a conservative versus liberal issue either, because this person, you know, was basically saying the liberal words, the, Mm -hmm. you know, I understand, I respect your boundaries, I do this and taking Mm -hmm. responsibility for it. I'm an ally. I'm on your side, all kinds of stuff. I'm one of you. One of you. And I maintained very strict boundaries after what she said about being in love with me. Like I completely changed the uh, depth, how I talked to her. My assumption was that a lot of people who are in minority queer positions are kind of needy and a lot of, and people who've come out of Middle Eastern upbringing or Middle Eastern style communities Mm -hmm. tend to have certain boundary issues because they sort of have to sort of they sort of have to readjust their boundaries right but she's not middle eastern i have to say okay i have to point out so but you know queer arab stuff i guess queer stuff 
yeah. Queer uh, conservative upbringing stuff, I should say. We yeah. should say. So I didn't feel like she was downright dangerous at all. Like I never got the danger, danger vibe. It was more kind of like, hmm, this is uncomfortable. This is awkward. You know, um, I need to step back. I need to be not even friendly, but I need to just keep things surface level. And, you know, I was I was kind of afraid because we had already Ellie and I had already kind of revealed to her who we were, like told her things about us, you know, and usually we keep ourselves on pretty private on this podcast. But because she had all this information about us, it's like I was afraid to just completely cut ties immediately. Yeah. And Um, and people in, you know, conservative slash queer communities are usually in a vulnerable position. So I'm well, I'm not inclined to advocate for everyone because I'm. I tend to be a fairly private person. I tend to just want to do my own thing. I'm like, uh, we should put some personal distance between us. And mm-hmm. we thought, okay, yeah, but yeah, this person obviously, well, have, they they're probably okay. Just you know, we need to keep ourselves distant from yeah, them. That's how we were thinking at the time. Like, she's probably fine. She's probably not dangerous. I mean, I it didn't even cross my mind that she was someone to genuinely be concerned about. So it turns out I was far from the only only one that she used those tactics on and said those things to. She was talking to at least 20 women using the same phrasing, the same grooming tactics, and she connected with women through various groups on social media, groups that are designed to be a safe and private space where people are willing to trust each other and to respect the privacy settings of the groups. Um, And this person asked quite a few other women if she could visit them after a short period of time of talking to them. She refused to keep her tone platonic. She continually crossed the line into non-platonic chatting. When the person she was talking to would ask her to stop and to respect their boundaries, she would profusely apologize for like a second. And then she would go into some saga about how that's just her personality. And she would say like, I trust you more than I trust almost anyone else. So I let myself be vulnerable, things like that. And she would use the line of, well, I'm glad you're finally being honest with me because otherwise I wouldn't have known that I was making you uncomfortable. And she would bring up her wife saying like, I'm married, I would never betray her. And in fact, she was continually betraying her wife's trust and she would waver back and forth between, I would never betray my, you know, betray my wife and, and saying things aren't going well between us. So she would go back and forth like that. She would get deeply personal about herself and her life, and she would say all this kind of stuff to women very quickly and try to get them to do the same and to confide in her. And I don't want to give any further details about the situations that happened among the other women with her um, individually through private chatting because I don't have their consent to share any of the details on here. I'm not, I would never do that to them. So that's why I'm giving an overall general summary of the tactics that she used that were pervasive among all of the interactions she had. And each connection she made with someone has its, you know, its individual details and slight difference, differences and methods, but there were such striking patterns like what I mentioned earlier. It's like she was reading from a script. It was, and people have said that exact thing. Only when one woman started asking around about her behavior towards others, this came to light. This all happened about within the past week. This all um, came to light less than a week ago, and people started saying those words, me too. This has been a rampant problem. Many people have been violated and made uncomfortable by her. 
And as hard as it is to say me too, sometimes it turned out to be vital. So we know the lengths to which this person will go to cross boundaries with people. She'll start by acting respectful, caring, being a very thorough and compassionate listener. And then she'll also relate to you. She'll also be like, you know, I'm just like you. You know, I'm part of the queer community. I'm, I've dealt with all these all these uh, hardships, like the same hardships you have. She'll get you to feel like, okay, I have a connection with her. And then she'll say something shockingly intrusive. And by that point, a person will not want to straight up cut ties with her or block her because they'll think, well, she's going through a rough time. She doesn't know how to, she has some social ineptness. And let me talk to her and try to see if I can help her see how inappropriate she's being. So you'll call her out, you'll tell her that it wasn't okay what she said. Then she'll get upset, she'll get self-deprecating, she'll say sorry, and then she'll turn that around and start telling you your flaws. So in my case, she kept saying that I was being too harsh, that she needs a gentler approach, uh, that she's very sensitive and is at a very low point in her life and she needs compassion and blah, blah, blah. And a person will by then be cautious around her, but won't hate her. So she knows what she's doing and it's not the victim's fault. So basically the message behind this that I want to leave everyone with is that if you can, if you can safely do so, don't be afraid to say me too, or even to start the conversation that results in others saying me too. I know it's very difficult to be that person. Um, I was not that person in this situation someone else was and i'm so beyond grateful to her and um, next time this happens there you know because sadly there will be a next time different contexts different people with different people i hope to be able to do that for others thank you for listening to that um ellie has some other stuff she wants to talk about regarding our podcast so, so um first off i do want to share my me too thing it was basically when i was younger i was dating and this is young trans woman dating and I went through a lot of dates because, you know, trans women aren't exactly it for dating. Um, so I've, I've been harassed on sort of both sides of the spectrum, both male and female. Um, like for one, uh, went on this date with a guy, it's like at this point I was working the night shift and so at the end of my shift, it was late at night, and this person's like, oh yeah, I work a night shift too. I am a tattoo artist. And for those of you who don't know, tattoo studios often have very late hours because drunk people get tattoos. <laughs> you know, so met this guy, and he seemed cool enough. You know, I was thinking, oh, cool, talented artist, because, you know, he showed me some of his work. And I was like, okay. And so go up, meet up with him you know, in a public space, say hello, you know, shake his hand, give him a hug, because I am a hugger. And, you know, like not even five seconds in, you know, grabs my breast, and this is like, like I said, not even five minutes from hello. We have not had any sexy time talk. We haven't discussed sex. We haven't discussed consent. It's literally hello. And, you know, immediately my boobs are being grabbed. So I was like, okay, that's not okay. You know, take, you know, pry his hands off. And he's like, and he was just going on. He was just like, they're just so big and they look so good. And I'm just like, that's not okay. And 
from there, I was kind of like, shit, do I continue with this date? And I was like, uh, no. So at that point, I cut out immediately. I just got got back in my car and drove the fuck off. Didn't say another word to him. Yeah. Because uh, if I had went somewhere private with this person... Who you know, knows? Who knows? Um, plus, so it's just like, no. Um, this other time, I was at a lesbian bar. I was also presenting as females at this point. And at that point in my life, I was... Every trans person is going to have that sort of, oh, uncomfortably between genders point. Well, not every person. Some people are very lucky and very blessed. I hate you. Not her. <laughs> uh, but um, drinking at a bar with a group of friends, just hanging out, having fun. And this really cute butcher woman comes up and starts to talk. You know, she starts flirting. She starts talking. like, And I'm like, oh, hey, somebody's hitting me up at a lesbian bar. I, I feel so included and privileged, and she's kind of cute. And, you know, we talk normally for about a good 20, 30 minutes, and eventually she does the same thing. She just grabs my breast, and I'm like, that's not okay. You, Jesus. You know, and this, was a, this wasn't a particularly notorious, like, say, makeout or sex bar. This was just, you know, the city's lesbian bar. It was the biggest at the time. <sighs> And this wasn't, and while, yeah, it was a bar and bar things happen, it's like, you know, it wasn't cool. So I was like, um, no, nah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm just going to go talk with my friends now because I didn't want to start something. I'm a trans person in a lesbian space. I don't want to be disruptive. I don't want to make a bad reputation for myself because in, in Houston, at least, trans people in the lesbian community haven't had the best reputation. Whether it's deserved or not, I'm not going to get into but I was just like, I just politely you know, said no. And she followed me over to my friends and started talking to me there. I'm like, look, I don't want to talk to you. I'm not comfortable with that anymore. And she's like, oh, it's cool. You know, my girlfriend's trans. I have a lot of trans friends. I really love trans women. I was just like, um, like your fetish is not cute. You know, she introduced bitch. me to one of her friends. I was like, I, and I just like told my friends, I'm going to the restroom, and then I told my friends, I'm leaving. And so, you know, I make like I'm going to the restroom and just deck out the side, and she follows me to the parking lot. And she's like, I'm sorry, can I get your number? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm leaving. Please don't bother me. You know, again, trying to be non-confrontational because, you know, young, unsure, trans person in a lesbian space being hit on by a lesbian, which by all accounts should be, you know, something fun, flirty, you know, Safe. sign of acceptance. Yeah. In the community, we are so, some of us are so wanting to be a part of. Um, so I'm like, no, I'm, I'm leaving. And she's like, come on. And she follows me to my car, you know, and I get in the car, I close the windows and she's just knocking. It's like, can I get your number, please? And I'm like, I'm leaving. And then she stands behind my car. And so I can't leave without, you know, at least bumping into her. So I just sort of sit there uncomfortably yeah. for like 10 minutes. And I was uh, just like, Despite I... the temptation to run her over, probably. You know, despite the, you know, sort of hard-nosed edge I take with a lot of people, I am, as Ollie probably knows, completely fluffy and very much like against actually doing any violence yeah yeah it's like you're not at all a violent person 
Let me put it this way. I apologized to our cat for two weeks after tripping over them. You felt so bad. Okay. So... She tripped over one of our cats and she just kept getting... Like, I think you got very emotional that day. Okay. So... Anyway. <laughs> so, person sitting behind me, not letting me leave. It is late at night. I have gotten away from my group of friends in an attempt to leave this uncomfortable situation because, again, you know... Mm-hmm. sort of person who doesn't want to ruin other people's good time and this person just keeps it's like and she just says can i get your number and i'm like fine here is my number i don't have my phone with me that was a lie i had my phone with me mm-hmm. so just call me up i will talk to you later and at that point she lets me go and again why didn't i report this to anyone well this was like early 2000s queer area where police didn't really care that much this was like, I barely even knew her name. Who was I going to talk to or sue? Or, And I was a new person in a lesbian environment, and this person had obviously been around. So who was I going to tell? Because I didn't want to make a bad name for myself in this lesbian space because I am the new trans person in a situation where trans people aren't particularly liked. So, yeah, that was those are my Me Too moments. Yeah. So, so, on to the next uncomfortable question. Why don't we vet our guests better so we don't have these people on? Mm-hmm. A very popular question among folks about our podcast so far. We are the Queer Arabs podcast, obviously. Um, a lot of the work we're doing and a lot of the interviews and subjects and topics we're discussing are kind of things of first impression. We talk to activists who don't have a very high profile. We talk to writers who are known very, and within a very niche community. A lot of these people pretty much do the work and exist on Whisper Networks, secret Facebook pages, um, internet, Instagram, Twitter, Discord, mm-hmm. those places. You know, very insular, very small communities who more or less have to work in secret because being queer and Mina isn't usually a safe thing, either physically, you know, like people's physical har- lives could be at stake or they mm-hmm. could you know risk uh their friends and family or the acceptance at their mosque or something mm-hmm. so we work in secrets but so when we do get the t- chance to talk to people we do because it's like oh hey somebody's willing to take this risk and out themselves potentially and that's kind of cool because we are sort of first on the scene in a lot of respects yeah. either out themselves or be an ally present as an ally publicly which Again, if you're working in Arab spaces, which are traditionally very conservative here in America, mm-hmm. you know, while it may not result in physical violence, it may result in loss of position, loss of friendships, loss of connections. So, you know, and mm-hmm. the person we were talking about worked in these space, like lived in these spaces as well. And because and sorry, just to interject, we are not part of all those whisper networks. Yeah, some of them. Yeah, but not all of them. Yeah, so, and those Whisper network, Networks had no record, no public record, no searchable record of any of this stuff. So while we did have this person's full name and their address, a background check wouldn't have yielded anything. Well, not an address, but... Well, general vicinity. Yeah. And... Yeah. So, like, a background check would have 
turned up nothing, a criminal background check would have been irrelevant and cost us some money. And honestly, like, that's weird to do all that, to go into that much background checking of people. That's kind of invasive, you know, yeah, when and... it's just them being on our freaking new podcast. Because we don't want to be the types to invade people's privacy like that. Plus, at, at, at this point, when we knew them, when we did the interview, it wasn't even relevant. It wasn't even on our radar. No one had, there was no reason to think mm -hmm. badly of this person. You know, and they were at this point a private person. Someone whose voice doesn't get heard very often. So we're know? thinking, cool, all right, we have this person in a unique situation, in some respects similar to ours. Let's, you know, let's give them a, let's talk to them, let's hear their story because, you know, hearing other people's stories and similarities, you know, brings us closer together, makes us feel empowered, makes us feel like we're not alone, which is kind of the fucking point here. Yeah. That's kind of how that happened. Someone even asked what made her noteworthy enough to be on your podcast or on this podcast. And we're not, my answer to that, we're not searching for, quote, noteworthy people. We're not searching for fame or for people who already have all these contexts in which contexts in which they've been given a platform to speak and to tell their story. So, like, we had the intention and still do of oftentimes featuring guests that don't get heard from enough. Or at all. Or at all. And so it's really hard to know how to, quote, vet people in that situation. We're, open to, We're open to suggestions on that. Any suggestions, we welcome. You know, there's only so much we can do where it's not crossing a line. Plus, sometimes we don't even have all that. Yeah, because, again, small podcast, small community, that doesn't have that doesn't have a high profile. Most of the people we talk to do not have Wikipedia entries. Well, or or share their full name. Um, they're not public figures. They're not people who work prominently within a community. They may be researchers. They may be yeah. people whose professional lives are very much sectioned off from our own. So we don't have access to those networks that would say, let us know, hey, yeah. this stuff, there is no Wikipedia article, there is no criminal record to find. Yeah, and even the public figure that we interviewed before, um, Rabia, I mean, yeah, she's a public figure, she is Googleable and everything, but if you Google her, everything is just positive, nothing but good things. And she's a leader within a marginalized society. Which, which yeah. is problematic. So Yeah, very, very problematic, but also the reason we wanted to feature her. We thought, okay, this this community that doesn't get talked about very often, here, here's an advocate for them. Here's a leader. Everything online is super favorable. We don't have access to their locality to step in person to person and talk to them. We, we literally do not have that sort of time or money because mm -hmm. we are... At this point, a this podcast. At that Tiny. point, we're basically two. We're two people plus some occasional support from our friends. Yeah, um, and I do take. I do want to take responsibility for what has happened already twice. It might sound like we're making all these excuses. We're just telling the truth, trying to give a overall picture of our process of and our our goal and how we select our guests and everything. But I also acknowledge, like, we messed up twice so far. We've been at this for less than four months. Fewer than four months, sorry. Less versus fewer. And, you know, we, we still have a lot to learn. I don't know. I don't know how to be better. I don't know how to, quote, vet people better or find things out better about and people who aren't heard from generally. And they don't have much of a public record. So, please, people who are criticizing us, 
justifiably. Please also give us your productive suggestions if you have them. Um, yeah, and we don't have access to a lot of the whisper networks that would say, that, or groups that which are closed, which would say tip us off to what happened mm -hmm. to Rabia before we did the interview or before we published it. After we, the Rabia thing, we were getting all kinds of, we were being flooded with messages that were all so contradictory. Some, somewhere like, you know, backing her up, somewhere saying that things were taken out of context, blah, blah, blah. And, um, that's, what? that's kind of the internet. But, you know, we quickly, well, not quickly, we soon realized that there was a lot of evidence showing that Rabia is not who she claims to be and is not a supportive, a supporter of who she claims to support. We did our best in, I don't want to say remedying the situation, but at least acknowledging it, speaking about it. And that's what we're trying to do now. Because we contributed to the problem of raising her profile as a positive leader when, yes. when the truth is she's not. And we're contributing, or we did contribute to giving this individual that we're talking about right now a platform. And I don't want that to keep happening. I'm so tired. Okay. I'm tired. Like, I don't want to be that... I don't want to be the cause of worsening a situation. So, on yeah. the other hand, Ugh, and, and it's like, well, and of course, people are going to ask with the last one is like, well, what, what are your sources? Who told you? And the thing is, a lot of people have told us they don't want to be public because they want to be further harassed. They yeah, don't. I'm not giving names. I'm not doing that to people. Yeah. So we're going to take whatever backlash we get from this person or anyone who is, you know, close to her. We're gonna have to deal with it, and we're we're gonna we're gonna deal with it. And we're not gonna toss the people who clued us in under the bus. We are going to no, because we have to believe them. We because they spoke out, they took a tr risk. They yeah, and honestly, like no, that's why I didn't give further detail about what happened with all these women because uh, the person we're talking about could easily figure out who those women are. You know, because like we have specifics about what happened with each of them. They're all particular enough where she or people who know her could probably figure out who we're talking about. People who are part of those whisper networks. Because, you know, because so, uh, uh, our spaces are kind of small. I, I just want to assure everyone we are doing our best. We're trying to do the right thing. We're trying not to lose our objective or mission either because like we don't want to stop having guests on. We don't want to like stop giving a space to people who don't have very many other spaces to speak up or to literally have their voices heard and um i don't want to lose that we're in a spot where we are trying to figure out how to get better about picking people wisely i think one of the keys is for us to get to know them better um or to or at least to um hear from people who know them people's input hopefully if they're listeners so they will hear that we are up to for saying we fucked up or mm -hmm. or we're willing to basically burn down an episode or two and take mm -hmm. it offline because we don't we thought we realized oh we shouldn't have given this person a platform yeah. now that, or that we shouldn't give this person a further platform yeah even oh though we put God. all this time and work into it we put a lot of time into this person yeah a lot it's kind of ridiculous how much attention we gave to this person and time it's very, very disappointing. I wish I could have all those hours back, but I cannot. So what we can do is 
learn from this. And continue to listen to people. And we'll continue to listen to people. We'll try to be more careful about who we talk to. If you want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at thequeerarabs. What else? <laughs> rate us on iTunes. You know, if you don't hate us, please rate us, review us. That'll get pe more people listening. And we will, we're going to keep striving to get better and better at what we're doing. This is such a special project to us. We're also so thrilled to have Ahmed and Killian now who are going to do the occasional Arabic episode. So we're hoping that'll give access to people who don't speak or understand English. Or who English is not their primary language. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for listening. This was a very um, upsetting episode. But... It was also we did necessary. It. it was necessary, and I hope we don't run into this kind of thing again. Because it's exhausting. It's so exhausting. Mm -hmm.